Hey everybody, you got Keith here. I promised you, Adam Big Hill was joining us, and today he joins us live in the lab. Adam Big Hill, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Who's Adam Big Hill? It's a pretty good question. It's a lot to unpack there. First and foremost, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I've been known to play a little bit of football. Also, in the business world as a financial advisor, you know, focusing on wealth management and financial planning. And that's the bird's eye view, if you will. It's interesting when I ask guests, you know, who they are, it's typically, I'm this, but yet when you and I spoke pre-show and I said to you, Adam, you really are the ultimate business athlete because Adam not only plays professional football, but he also has a full-time business job, which in many ways is like the old school gridiron Canadian football league guys who were they a football player or were they a business guy? Yeah, since coming into the CFL, I've seen veterans in this league that when I was young, guys were starting their own businesses, working outside of football. And you realize that playing in the CFL, you're going to be working after retirement, no, no doubt about it. It's not like the NFL where you might be able to retire. But it's one of those things where I knew that I was going to have to have a career post-football. And I had a pre-med degree in college, and I was looking at maybe orthopedics coming out of college if football didn't work. And as football took off, I didn't really see myself going back to med school, starting a family and stuff. There was another area I was uh, passionate about, which was the in, in investment world. I met some really great mentors in, in Vancouver on the West Coast that really showed me a lot of things and that I had a passion for, and now that I use those to, to help people. Adam, talk about the power of a mentorship. It, 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 would it be fair for me to say that Meeting those mentors changed your mind about going from orthopedics to financial business? Yeah, honestly, I think um, having a mentor is super, super critical. Mm. I never had a professional athlete come to my school when I was a kid and talk to me. I work from a really small school, like a uh, 3,500-person town I'm from in southwest Washington. And, but they, everyone has important people there in their lives. And, and growing up, I've had my fair share. And one, a couple were in college and led me into the, to the pre-med world and then as I became a professional football player, obviously we're looking at, do I want to go back to med school? And, and I happened to meet some individuals in, in Vancouver that were became great mentors on the investment side and the wealth management side and definitely transformed my path. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that says a lot because mentors can really help change the path of anybody. That leadership and that taking the time to work with somebody to help them understand options and what it's like and how to do something and give them a path of here's what to expect and here's what's next are you going to take with it take it and run with it or are you going to decide it's not for you those are all options right but the mentor is uh, an important start the you mentioned next and it's a theme that we speak about here in the lab often is which this idea of finding your next right athletes like yourself wondering what's going to be next post-pro career. Our business leaders wondering what's next as they're chasing their professional working career. You seem to have been chasing next your whole life. <laughs> yeah, we haven't known each other very long, but you've got a pretty good sense of me already. Um, yeah, I've had goals from early on. I said I wanted to play professional football when I was seven. You knew that, did yeah, you? I knew that, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's recorded. My uncle has a recording and everything. I had Robert Esme in here, a, a Canadian gold medalist in Atlanta '96, and I asked him the same question: Did you know he was? Gonna, did Did you know you were going to be an Olympian, Adam? And he says to me, "Oh no, Keith, I knew I was going to be a gold medalist." 
it's well, just, there you go. it's that vision, right? <clears throat> you knew. Yeah, it was my goal. It was my dream. It's what I wanted to achieve. And, and growing up, it was in the forefront of my mind, uh, making every decision I was making and, and growing up in high school was around the aspect of I need to achieve my dream of being a professional football player. And with that being the f- primary focus, there's a lot of things needs to happen. You just don't say it and all of a sudden wake up and you're doing it, right? You have to be able to live out that dream daily with mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. It takes action. You mm-hmm. can't just wish it's going to come and wait f- to find you and mm-hmm. take you there. Mm-hmm. You got to take yourself there, and there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of sacrifice. And so for me, you said, what's next? It's always been about achieving my goals that are going to help me take me to the next step and better myself for the reason, whatever goal it is. I think goals are super important. They've been super important for me. They help create that roadmap. Set your goal, work backwards and all the steps it's going to take to get there and create all the goals that are going to take you down that road and allow you to be successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you can't run from that. I mean, that it's a path. I mean, and, and the path doesn't always stay straight. It winds a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you got to be honest with yourself. Are you willing to be able to put in all that hard work that's mm-hmm. going to be on that journey. And I think that's when you have that real honest conversation, it's actually pretty motivating for a lot of people because you start to actually feel and grasp and internalize what it really is going to take and you know what the opportunity is really in front of you. The hard work. I read a piece today, Adam, just doing some reading uh, on social media marketing and so forth. And, <clears throat> This gentleman is talking to a friend of his, and the conversation goes like this. Geez, how are you getting such reach with your posts? And the one fellow says, oh, how much content are you putting out a week? He goes, oh, about 250 pieces a week. How much are you putting out? Oh, one a day. So think about that, 250 social posts per week. So I'm, I'm breaking that down something very tact- tactfully because we've all played with social media. The work that goes into creating... 200 and so that's what so you, so those that are watching and wondering what it takes to create a social business or to be a pro athlete that idea of work like most people aren't doing 250 per week most people aren't putting the work in it takes to become a pro athlete they're just not doing it yeah a lot of people would say they're working really hard but maybe in comparison or respect they don't really know what really hard work is because maybe they've never really been shown comparative to some of their colleagues or peers or what have you everyone has a kind of their own subjectivity around what is yes. hard work and that's a fair comment yeah i certainly would not want to come across as oh you're not working hard enough no that's a very fair point because i know that our listeners and the people that are part of this all work really hard i guess the point i'm making is that you don't know who's working harder next to you. Sure, sure. So if yeah, you want right. to make the pro leagues, there's another guy who might be working. If you're getting up at 5 a.m., he might be getting up at 4.55 a.m. Yeah, you know, so a couple of great points, right? I think, one, you bring up the idea of work. Not all work is the same, and I would say yes. quality work is very important. It's going to get you your journey that much faster anywhere you are in life. And then second, there's always someone, big, someone bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, I've heard that said a lot, and my entire life, that's really what motivated me was if I wanted to be all-conference or all-state in high school, I needed to outwork every single person in my conference, in my state, to feel like I really deserve that opportunity. And that's what I put my mindset on, outwork everybody, 
So I have the opportunity to earn this kind of accolade. As, that was part of some of my goal setting. And I've been doing that my whole life, is setting goals and sacrificing and working extremely hard and, and trying to find that person who's bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, more capable than me. And to be honest, I haven't found many of those people in my life. I'm pretty proud to say that, to be honest. Um, and I know... I'm playing here in the CFL, and I had an NFL opportunity, and I've been down there, and there are some really amazing players in the NFL, and that's a whole different conversation around the business of sports yes. and opportunity and timing, and I'll say this, my, my film down there speaks for itself and my ability to play in that league, and I think that I could have been a pro bowler in that league, I'm very confident of that, but opportunity and timing were not in my favor, and that's not something you can always control, but to a point that been chasing to find those people that are willing to work harder than me and and really set themselves apart from me in my whole life yeah it's no coincidence that goal and gratitude both start with g <laughs> you strike me as somebody who's very grateful for the opportunity you've had playing in the cfl for as long as you've had and perhaps yes the nfl was a dream and yes the nfl was part of your journey you strike me as somebody who doesn't look back upon it with malice or regret or it's you accept it for what it is yeah my goal is to play professional football and i'm doing that and i didn't say nfl i didn't say cfl i said professional football getting paid to do what i love and yes i'm doing that and so when i came back from the nfl to the cfl there was no anywhere in my heart that was just a pain to do like i i actually decided to come back to the cfl and turn down several nfl opportunities because i just wanted to come back to stability in the CFL with the opportunity I knew was guaranteed there. And I could support my family. I just had my, my, my daughter, my second child was just born. And this didn't feel like chasing around the NFL dream, even though it could have paid off. I decided to come back to the CFL and I would do the same thing looking back and doing it again today. Obviously very grateful for the opportunities I have right now. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to check the recording just so I'm not making a mistake twice. And then we'll continue. All good. All good for you so far. So good. Awesome. Comfortable? Absolutely. Good. Adam, your journey from an undrafted college player to a CFL star is unique. Can you share a particularly memorable moment from your career that captures the thrill and unpredictability of that journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I came out during 2011. During, that's the NFL lockout. So pretty terrible timing to be coming out of college, get look to go to the NFL. I wasn't drafted. I was talking to some teams about seventh round draft pick, priority free agent. Right after the draft, they're going to call me, get me signed. And then once the draft happened, the lockout went into effect immediately. There was no free agent signings. Business was closed. And so I, I had to make the decision of, okay, what's next, right? Or am I, There's that word again. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> I took a workout with the CFL, with the Beast Lions, and fortunately it ended up working out for me. Getting the opportunity to go to training camp and try to make a team, which I was able to do. And, and getting to your point, what was the 
striking memory from there was that year, my rookie year, we started 0-5. I've never lost five games in the season than any team I've ever been on in my life. But if you remember history, we went on to win. We lost one. We went 1-5. We won the next 12 in a row, got the first round by, won the West Division, and ended up winning the Grey Cup in 2011, my rookie year. I never won a championship in my entire life. And we went from one of the worst teams to winning the Grey Cup in the same year. I was just going to say, so just to recap for the audience, you went from 0-5, and five, like the lowest point in your professional career. Well, that was my first year of my professional career, but any football <laughs> career, like high school, college, I'd never lost five games in the season ever. To the highest point in your yes. pro career. Yes. Which... Six months prior to that, you didn't even have a pro career. Correct. So that, that is a remarkable... That strikes me because you, you accomplish all of this in such a short period of time. How do you capture the magic again? It took a while until 2019. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's one of the best things about sports is all the different things that you get to share with your teammates in the locker rooms. And I'm biased to football. I think it's the greatest sport in the world for them. What it teaches you as a person and for what it takes to be a champion in that game. Mm -hmm. It takes uh, an entire organization, but it takes everybody pulling the rope the same way every single day, putting in more work, extra work. And there's only one champion. Only one team every year goes home happy, not packing their stuff up in a garbage bag saying, I wish we did next year. It's very hard to win a championship. The last two years we lost here with Winnipeg. We still feel like we're the best teams. We just couldn't play our best on, on the day that mattered the most. I think out of 120 minutes in the last two years of Grey Cup minutes, we were ahead by 117 minutes and three minutes were we behind. Right, and, and, and you just fall a couple plays short. That's sport for you, right? That's how how crazy it can be and yeah. the highs and the lows and – but that's what makes it so special because if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. It really would be. I think a metaphor I can relate to, Adam, is I was fortunate that I sold my company. And a good friend, a mentor of mine, said to me during that process, Hey, Keith, selling your business is like doing a thousand-piece puzzle. So okay. At the, at the time, it, I was like, okay, what, a thousand-piece puzzle? Yeah, just, just take the time to do it. Adam, you can get to 998 pieces, but if you don't have that last one the puzzle never gets complete. Or if you can't find those last two or something doesn't fit, you'll never complete the puzzle. And I remember him telling me that because to me that's like selling my business. You're a business guy. You can imagine the diligence it takes to sell a business. Yeah. It's just check mark after check. So all those puzzle pieces have to go in. I equate it to all the minutes that have to go right for you to win a championship. It's, you know, it's got to be 60. It can't be 58, right? It's... Yeah. And in, in the last game was that last puzzle piece just didn't fit. Yeah, so I, it, it's the great thing, once again, about sport, how the unpredictability of it sometimes yes. and, and really the commitment that you have to have to make it go your way. And sometimes, no matter what you do, all the will you have, you can't will it. And, and there's a lot of factors that play into that, like so many factors. I mean, it's a team game. You need everybody to, to, to do it, right? And that's what's so special is you can't have – 11 people on the field doing it. You need 12. You can't have mm -hmm. one phase doing it. You got to have all three. Mm -hmm. You can't, and you, you just got to do it at the right times and they all have to click at the right times. And, but like again, successful business, all assets, all yeah. aspects have to be going right. Well, yeah, you prefer it that way. Obviously some, you, you some can pull their weight while others are, are waiting to figure it out. You can't definitely can't have 
two of the three that really are just mm-hmm. on the downtrend and one doing well, you you got to make sure they're all working together and pull it on up. One of the things we like to do is get behind the scenes of the moment. So that first year of playing pro ball, share with me the moment where you made it, where somebody said, congratulations, Adam, you are making the squad. What was that moment like, and who did you share it with? Let's just start. Like I told you, the workout went well, and I made the team, and when we went to training camp, I made the It actually started like this. I had the workout in, in, in Portland, Oregon. They said, we'll call you in a week. I did really well at that workout. There was 120 guys at the workout. By the end of the workout, they cut it down to probably 12 guys, and I was one of the 12 left. I was only linebacker at my position who was left doing one-on-ones against running backs, mm-hmm. several interceptions, no completions against me. Mm-hmm. They said, we really like your workout. We'll call you in a week. So what's that week? It's like pins and needles. You're waiting. Like, like <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. going to happen? Yes. I get the call. Where are you? I'm in my apartment in Ellensburg at college, and I get the call, and they say, hey, sorry, we don't have room to bring you to camp. Oh, I was, I was thinking it was a different answer. Okay. Yeah, I skimmed over that part for time's sake, but as we were diving into this, I, you know, so I, I'm thinking, man, like, is football over? Am I done? Oh. Am I going to have another opportunity? I wasn't talking to any other teams. I only did this one workout for BC. NFL is closed for business right now. So I'm thinking, am I going to be executing my off-field, you know, off-field game plan of med school? What am I doing? Like, I had a real fork-in-the-road moment there. Yes. So that day was a little bit frustrating and a little down in the dumps for sure. And then the next day, I get a call from the same number. And then it's like, oh, I know that number I'm picking up, right? And said, hey, we were able to make some room for you to come to camp. Are you still able to come? And what do you expect me to say? No, I changed my whole life plans <laughs> in a matter of... 16 hours. No, I'm coming. That was where I knew that I had an opportunity to go show what I can do. I remember telling Wally at the workout, and I didn't know who Wally was at the time, the most winningest coach in CFL history. And Wally Buono. Wally, Wally Buono. And I remember telling him, like, listen, like, just give me an opportunity. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i do anything the team needs, special teams, defense, anything. I will out-compete, and I'll win. You wanted to get your foot in the door, the proverbial foot in the door, right? I will kick the door open. Just let me get an opportunity. I'll kick it open. I end up making a name for myself in training camp and getting the opportunity to sign to the team and be able to win a championship my rookie year. And and, and I guess I'll fast forward a couple years where after that I took on a starting role, linebacker, all-star, CFL all-star, up for defensive player of the year, stuff like that. And I remember asking Wally, Wally, I remember the day you called and said I wasn't going to be coming to camp, and then the next day I got another call. Like, what happened in those 16 hours yeah. between those calls is in true Wally fashion? I just couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe what my eyes were telling me. And it turns out I had a another individual in the, in, in the Beast Lines organization that was going to bat for me and saying, hey, like, you can't miss out on this guy. Just bring him to camp and see what he can do. A guy that had watched my pro day, a guy who had been to the Cactus Bowl and watched my All-American Bowl practices and really thought they'd say, hey, bring him to camp. You can't not bring him to camp. And it really was, I really had to have someone go to bat for me. And then the fact that at the time I was called an undersized linebacker coming into the CFL. Like media did a whole story on it. Like it was like, it was kind of mind-boggling, you know, and whatnot. But now you look around, everybody, like a lot of linebackers in the CFL look like me. I think that I helped change that dynamic sure. of the linebacking position in the Canadian Football League. Yeah. I mean, and doing the things that I do. And you look at 
NFL is trying to find the next Drew Brees and, and Russell Wilson and stuff like that. Like these guys are not your prototypical size. Mm-hmm. You, you got guys, Lamar Jackson, and you guys are changing the dynamics of the game and changing what people are actually looking for, where you go back 20 years from now, or, say, or I'll, I'll go in there. We don't want those guys. We want six five, able to see over the line, pocket passers. Like that's what we want. And now the game's totally evolved to saying we're open to a whole different kind of athlete at these positions. Let's continue that first year. You make the team. You sign a contract. All this paperwork. And you get your first professional football check. What'd you do with it? I kept it for a while, didn't I? Actually, like cash yeah, it for a while. Yeah. I kept it for a while. I still have my first tickets that I ever got for my preseason game. I still yeah. have those. But yeah, no, I, I stared at it for a while and just it was like, wow, this is real. You yeah, know, it was. Pretty- it, it does become real, doesn't it, Adam? When you look at that, because because somebody has recognized your value. Let's be frank, sport is yeah. business. They've recognized your value. They've put it on a piece of paper with a pen and signed their name on it and said, "Here you go, young man." That's pretty powerful. Yeah, you know, the BC Lion logo on it. Yeah. GM president signature on it. Yeah. It was, like it when was, you think about your whole dream was to be a pro football player, and there's where it is. There's boom. Yep. Yeah, fantastic, man. Can't beat it. So you, you set it aside. You didn't spend it. No, I didn't, even, I didn't even put it in the bank for a while. Did you call mom or dad or family? Oh, yeah, or? no, I, I definitely, like, my dad was my, has been my biggest fan. So I'm Talk gonna, about that. Talk about dad. Yeah, he, he actually passed away this year in, oh, in June. So I was, it's been a bit of a tough year. He was my biggest fan. He's been my biggest supporter. He raised me. My mom passed away when I was 12 years old, or 13 years old, sorry. Me and him were really close. Just the two of you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he... he we come from a pretty humble beginning. We we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't understand. I think the most important thing I take away from my childhood is that I, I felt like I was rich. Mm, yeah. Because... Felt like I had everything I needed. You know, I had a love for my family. Was able to do some things here and there for fun. I just felt there wasn't anything I was just out there missing that I felt like I needed. I can, you know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like I had everything I needed. As I look back, we went through bankruptcy. We moved from a house and went got into a rental home. And but I, as you look at all these things. They you know, all look, didn't matter, did they? It all they? didn't matter. I take that away to say my dad gave me everything he had and gave me the opportunities that I have and built me to be the man that I am. And Yeah, he's a special dude. That's awesome. And you have children now yourself? Yeah, three kids, yeah. Three kids. What would you be telling, what would Grandpa be telling the kids about Dad? That's a good question. Yeah, obviously he witnessed so much of, of my journey, all of my journey. And, like, I think the thing that always stands out was just my level of commitment and, and work. It was really, really special and from the way he put it. and Yeah, I, I remember asking him, like, Dad, because like, I was curious. I'm like, Dad, did you ever know that I'd be playing professional football? Yeah. Was there ever a moment watching me play as a kid where you're like, this dude's going to go and do it? Like, and he was like, like, he was like, I didn't know that you'd be playing professional, but I, I knew that you probably would have an opportunity to play college football, and I knew that you're hands down way better than everybody that you played against. And you would have an opportunity. And I think it was probably pretty cool for him to watch, like, my entire journey. And I, I look back, and a lot of what I did was I did for myself, but I also did for my family and did for my dad and my mom to make them proud. And I told them what I was seven what I was going to do, right? And I was committed to 
upholding that dream and, and doing that for my mom and, and proving to my dad like all the stuff that I've done is for a reason. Adam, in your journey with life, you've been dealt your series of situations. Lost your mom when you were 13, you said. Born with a facial indifference. Called out Wendy Williams on national television because she was called, making an issue with, some, with, with that. Talk about the inspiration you have been for others, bullying, all of your son. Talk, sure. talk about that, Adam. Yeah, I was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate, which was a facial difference. If you Google it, you'll see what that is. At the end of the day, several surgeries needed to correct correct that lip revision, palate repair, and a couple more things throughout the growing up in terms of a bone graft, any nose revisions, any palate revisions, stuff like that. Generally, you're a child who wouldn't have surgery and would be in third world countries. You can have problems eating, speaking, and doing your normal daily tasks. It's very important that these things are corrected. That's why charities like Operation Smile exist to be able to deliver surgeries to those in these countries that can't have it because medically you, you need to have these things fixed. So obviously, surgery is necessary. I grew up with less confidence than everybody. Let's just put it that way. I was probably I was a star football player on my team, prom king, all this kind of stuff. But yet, I never felt confident enough to really ask a girl on a date or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I had no confidence, mm-hmm. and I never really had the opportunity to meet anybody else who was like me, talk to anybody else, and there was no real support for anybody like for for anything for me in terms of how to deal with the social aspect of, mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my facial difference. And growing up, I was different than others, and, and I knew it even. And I try to, you, as much as you try to forget, it pop up all the time. So I was bullied as a kid. And now fast-forwarding, my third child, Bo, was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate as well. Yeah, my, my surgery back in when I was born, they said it was one of the widest cleft palates that they'd seen and required a pretty significant effort the doctors did a great job for repairing mine Bo's my son was I, I, I would say less severe than mine for mm-hmm. sure and then doctors did a fantastic job with Bo and you can hardly even notice but yeah and Wendy Williams was I think I, she was having a conversation on her show talking about Joaquin Phoenix who has I think they call it a micro form cleft which is just looks like you have a scar mm-hmm. above your lip like you mm-hmm. would have had a surgery from a cleft surgery but microform clefts, I do believe, are just you're born with that in utero. So, like, when you're born, you have that scar built in as if you had already had a repair done, but you've never had a cleft or anything like that. She was kind of making, pointing fun at it, making fun of it. So that was actually right when Bo was about to go in for his lip surgery. And at the end of the day, I called her out and demanded an apology for you know poking fun at people with cleft lip and palates just because like you're making fun at er- everyone else's expense just to, what for readings on your show to, to make people laugh these are people with real lives living real journeys that deal with a lot of these issues that you're being very insensitive to yeah i use my platform to put this out there and i think within five days we had an apology and it was a Something that went viral, and you had over two and a half million <laughs> responses and interactions within a short amount of time, and so we were able to get that taken care of. I love that you recognize the power of your platform for good. You Absolutely. Know, it's, you have it. There's a way to utilize that. Your children one day are going to look up to you and say, that was my dad doing those cool things. Bo 
it, it, I can't be struck by the fact that you and your dad were like this, and I'm sure that you and Bo are very similar. For sure. Yeah. And, and now when he looks at his dad, he, he looks at his dad's experiences, he probably feels really safe about the whole thing. Well, he's so young, he doesn't even know he has a cleft lip and power. He has no idea. Yeah. Like, It'll come up sooner at some point soon. It's really unfortunate that it actually has to be a thing, and I'm not trying to be yeah. I'm not trying to be dismissive of it, but it's unfortunate that's well, again, I don't want to be dismissive of it. It's you know, but people will make it a thing. At some point, it'll come up. Yeah, who better to lead him through life than someone who's been through it? And Absolutely. It, right? um, and I'm also like the president and a board member for a, a charity called Making Faces, and what we do is we do exactly what I needed to do as a kid, which was we put on workshops for individuals and going through life with facial differences or any difference at all for that matter. And we host workshops and do all kinds of things around building confidence mm-hmm. and all the, and building speech, building that ability for someone to be in the middle of the room and speaking and be comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I do with my platform is be able to do that and give back to that community and, and be able to help others. And yeah, so Bo's in good hands. I've been very fortunate to speak with many different business leaders here in the lab and, and athletes. And I was sitting back and chatting with my wife about this last week. And there is this common theme of resilience that just, it's to know that you're a champion, you're a professional athlete and you've been through your, your personal journey it's actually not surprising that you're a champion because I would say it would seem to me that they all have to go together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do know what you mean. I mean, I think like losing mom at a young age, sort of trip, like losing mom at a young age, having to deal with the facial indifference. It's clearly a great father who set you on a path, clearly a great mother who set you on a path. Like mom and dad right now got to be looking down with just immense amount of pride. For sure. But it, it almost seemed like it was inevitable you were going to be in your chair right now. The, the way I tell people, for sure, it's not by accident that yeah, I'm here. Yeah, and it's okay to say that. It is okay because I've earned it like 100% Absolutely. Of the way. If you look around how many people are in my position doing what I'm doing, and they would be equivalent to me, 5'10", 225 pounds, and walk the shoes that I've walked, right? How many people are here? And the answer is there's not a lot. And so you ask yourself why? Well, obviously it's because it's, it's a little bit harder. I was under-recruited coming out of a small school and being undersized. I went to the Oregon National Invite Combine. Was Nike Combine was labeled as one of the top performers in linebacker in the whole Pacific Northwestern region. And I wasn't even offered any D1 scholarships. I was under-recruited, undersized, and it was an under, underdog story all the way through, and it has been, right? Wasn't drafted, but, but here I am playing, going into playing my 14th professional season, and having won in Grey Cups, three defensive player of the years, all-stars. It's just, I'm grateful for everything I've been able to achieve, but I also realize that I've been able to make a lot of that happen just by the sheer amount of work and determination I've been able to put into it. It's not by accident and I've been able to be able to have these opportunities. You create your own luck, right? It's interesting. I, just, I put a post out today that nobody, nobody sees all the hard work you're putting in behind the scenes. All they see is your one or two hours a week on TSN and, or ESPN or whoever's watching out there on the sports network, but that nobody ever recognizing nobody, Rarely do we, are we recognized for all those hard hours that go into achieving the end game. No, you never will be in, and but that's fine, right? Because yes. in essence, that your two-hour spotlight or whatever it is, whether people 
realize it or not is 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 you're showcasing all of that work and yes and you're showcasing what you've enjoyed throughout that entire week we talk about gratitude and not having to grind right no i love coming to work i love going to work with my boys all week so we can get onto the stage on sunday yeah yeah absolutely yeah adam talk a little bit about i lost my train of thought let me uh let me just all start this up again all good Sure. Adam, you've successfully transitioned, have been in the transition of moving from pro athlete to business guy. He's a business athlete. He's a true business athlete. What advice are you giving to retiring guys like yourself? Because I know it's a process. I've talked to enough guys like you yeah, that are yeah. like, I'm retiring, but it takes 24 to 36 to 48 months to get that done. What are you saying to guys about, hey, man, this, is not gonna, this pro persona is not forever? Yeah, I mean, guys in my locker room, guys in the CFL I'm talking to, I'm talking to guys who are coming into the league as rookies. I'm talking to guys in their first, second year. I remember, like, when I first came into the CFL, like, all you can focus on is football. You need to make sure you're going to make the team. You need to make sure you're coming back and to be able to get a starting job. You need to make sure you can keep a starting job. You need to make sure you're doing everything you can to continue to live that, live that dream. But if I look back at the same time, there's quite a few, bit of downtime, right? Like there's, I was playing a handful of Madden and video games at don't, the same don't time. Don't tell anybody that. As a professional athlete, right? After you've grinded all day and you've yes. enjoyed that. Like, Although it's called recovery, Adam. It's called yeah, recovery. Yeah, yeah. So, so then you can go back and just people, you know, if they want to turn on a podcast or they want to turn on Netflix or they want to play some video games, there's, there's an outlet to do. And you have that ability. If I, if I look back, I could have been reading a couple of chapters of a book. I yes. could have been helping myself learn in other areas of my life and educating myself and working towards a different degree or another certificate or another designation or another piece of knowledge. You know what I mean? There's just things that you could be doing if you chose to. I got, got to the point in my career, year three, where I was like, I was actually missing college. I was actually missing learning. I had a thirst for more knowledge. And where I, that's where I picked up my investment wealth management kind of career right there where I met some mentors and they put me on a path. I told them, hey, give me everything I need to read. They sent me a list of books. I bought them all, started reading and and went down the path, right? Like it's had a thirst for knowledge and talked to guys now saying, hey, like you have time. Mm-hmm. Start thinking about what you want to do post-football. Start, if, if you did this over three years, every off-season, put in, did a course, did something, did some leveling up. You can, in three years, have a designation and start doing some off-season work and, and, and start building a career for yourself outside of football. Mm-hmm. So when you retire, you transition right into it, and you're not like starting as a, I'm 30 years old, I have a professional football resume, and I don't have any work experience, I'm 30 years old, what am I going to do? Like, where am I going into the pay scale? Who's going to find me valuable? I, have, I don't even have a certificate. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to go sell cars? Or am I going to go personal train? Am I going to go coach? So getting these guys to think about what are you doing right now? Like, that you can start leveling up. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when they're in the moment. It is a bit hard, but... The, the, the limelight, the spotlight. Well, I was, you know, I'm like, how much video games do you play in a day? <laughs> 
cut it in half, start learning something. Yeah, it's true. Honestly, at the end of the day, you can't hide from that fact. Yeah. One of the things that I like to speak about here in the lab, Adam, is we know that tomorrow is going to come. For example, I've been talking with our listeners and, and lately that March 30th is 116 days from now. So the end of first quarter of 2024 is 116 days from now. So advice for the audience is if you want to hit your quarter one goals, well, you got 16 days to get ahead of them right now to start working on them now. Because March 30th is going to come. No different than what you were saying is that you can play video games, but eventually your career is going to be done. If you can find an hour a day to train yourself, you can put that hour a day towards something when you're done. Yeah, and, and obviously... It's, it's inevitable. The thing that I think probably resonates with everybody watching here is that to become a professional athlete takes absorbent amounts of hard work, lots of hard work, lots of talent, but lots of hard work and consistent hard work. And you don't really see that as common every day in the normal mm-hmm. working world. Yep. Now, if you're a business leader, chances are that you have gone through that same process that the athlete has gone through, spending hours and hours and hours. You don't work on a nine to five. You work a 24-7 when, and get stuff done because you're passionate about it and all you're doing is just finding a way to make it happen. And then there is no clock. There's an objective and you're trying to achieve it. As an athlete, there's a lot of value for business businesses to have athletes a part of what they do and, and vice versa. You said you like to train like an athlete to be able to be the best business person that you can be. There's a lot you can take from both worlds to, to share success. You got to have a healthy lifestyle either way, right? But there's things to be learned on both sides of the fence and being able to see it firsthand of working in the business world and working in the football world is that there's a lot of similarities, but systems structure yeah like work ethic and all this stuff you you can't find a substitute for that that has to be there you have to be driven and you have to be able to do extra not what is what i'm just requiring that's a huge theme yeah what drives you today what's your purpose adam big hill i want to be able to number one take care of my family right that's my most important passion is making sure that they're taken care of and that dovetails into my other passions of taking care of my family within wealth management and within being a professional football player i i want to be the absolute best to be able to say he's played the game in canada like hands gone i want to be known as one of the best to ever play and so that drives me that drives me to continue to to do all the things i do i love the journey of training in off season as much as i love playing games mm-hmm. i love being able to better myself and say, here's where I am and here's where I am now, six months from now, and look at all the hard work and what it's done for me. I've never felt like I've hit my peak because I still feel like I've all things I can still improve. There's, okay, I want to work on this. It's obviously these are things I want to focus on. And continually just improving. And that passion allows me to still become a better football player. And, and, And in the business world, like it's the same thing, continually learning surrounding myself with great mentors and leaders and, and, and people that have been doing this for a long time and obviously allowing myself to level up there too. Those are the things that really drive me is right there. So Adam, do you look at people around you from time to time and ask yourself this humble question, so why aren't they doing more? Like why aren't they working harder? Because that's just how I'm wired as in you. Do you sometimes kind of question others and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to say that in a disrespectful way to any teammates just more of a i don't see anybody working harder than me obviously i know how i got to where i am yes and it, and it was a process of just being able to outwork everybody like yes. when i became a professional athlete like i actually put my 
work, my career's worth of work into a quote, outwork your competition, so there is none. Mm-hmm. So think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Outwork your competition, mm-hmm. so there is none. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you not give me a job? How can I not be the guy if I've outworked everybody? I have more skill sets. I'm more qualified. I can do it better, faster. Mm-hmm. I have more to give. I have, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. I think at times throughout my career, there's been people who maybe have resented me because of the amount of work I do put in in the sense that people may not want to match it. I. That's the question I'm wondering. It <laughs> right? is because um, you've heard that you hear that sometimes in locker rooms where people maybe don't like the culture because others are working so hard and it's like, why can't they bring some fun to the game? And it's no, oh, I don't want to work that hard all the time. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like people, I think in Winnipeg, it's, we have such a great vibe and everybody, we have a great pulls their room. weight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and everyone, respects everyone very well and understands like everyone's personality is a little bit different yes people know when i come to work and i'm in the locker room like i'm pretty serious right you've come to work like and you've put your work i'm not spending time 30 minutes before practice to shooting the shit every single day with my teammates i'm doing something like i get up and i'm there at six watching film then i'm going to get a workout in and then just getting ready to go into meetings with my crew, and then we go into our team meetings. So it's, I'm not wasting minutes throughout the day when I'm there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not wasting per se, but like, yeah, I'm yeah. not scheduling water cooler talk. Like I'm, yes. I'll BS with guys when I'm there, walk by all the time. But when I'm there, it's almost every minute's got a scheduled yes. purpose. You know what I mean? Yes, purposeful yeah. time. So people know I'm serious, and I can have fun, and I can joke around, and they can joke with me, and I we got no problems, and everyone. But I think everyone knows that about me in Winnipeg. That, and that's why they respect me because mm-hmm. I come to work, I work freaking hard, I'm prepared, I provide value to everyone around my, me in the locker room. I want to see this, them succeed. I want to be the best I can be for them, as I want them to be the best they can be for me. And so my job is, and as I see as a leader, I want to be the best freaking player on the field and make the most amount of plays. Mm-hmm. Sometimes plays don't come your way, and you can't force things to happen. That's mm-hmm. fine, but. Mm-hmm. If I can call out what I know play is coming and I can tell my, my defensive front, hey, this is a play that's coming, and they can shut it down and stop it because I gave them the information, mm-hmm. that's super powerful. Like mm-hmm. I, I take a lot of value in that and trying to help communicate and, and be the leader on the defense that can put us in great position all the time. You know, And that's another thing where I find a lot of value. Mm-hmm. One of the traits that has struck me, Adam, is I've met – many athletes like yourself that have come through the lab here is the power of their spouse, of their partner in a sport of really independent contractors. Yes, you're all on a team, sure. but you're really a bunch of individuals that are all trying to win a championship. But at the end of the day, it's still business. See you later, Adam. See you later, Adam. And you look around, no locker room, there's no team, but you have your partner. It's really struck me in talking to the people coming through the lab, the power of the partner. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, obviously. It's super important without my wife, Christina, and and her understanding for what I do. I could see, I've seen it be problems for people. (laughs) Like, she has a college background of of golf, so she competed in in, in golf in the the U.S. We need to have her in here, probably. Probably, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Christina. Christina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she played at Eastern Washington for two years, was playing so well and winning tournaments. Her coach was like, hey, you should probably, like, leave and go somewhere bigger yeah you you can do it so she went to oregon state played for two years and then she got burned out from golf a little bit and and then that's kind of when i ended up meeting her but 
she understands like what it takes to become a high level athlete. And if anyone understands, yes, it's golfers. Think about how much time does it put time to play eighteen holes? Yeah, how long? Like four and a half hours? Yeah. You know, four on a good day? Yeah, you know. So they, but then they'll practice before their round. And then they'll go play the round. And what they'll do after the round? Practice again. We'll go practice again. You know what? I missed that 110-yard shot. I'm going to go to the range and hit that 110-yard shot. And all independently. Yeah. So, I mean, they're battling themselves. Like, it's a whole different sport, right? Yes. But, like, she understands. She, at times, be putting six, seven hours a day in for practice. Can you imagine that? No. (laughs) It's It's a very selfless experience, it seems like, doesn't it? It's very different. But the time required to be at the level that she was at of being scratch golfer and competing and winning tournaments like in mm-hmm. in the u.s like doesn't once again doesn't happen by accident like you right. have to be able to right. put in the work to get that opportunity and have have a chance to win yes she i i told her when i when we first got together and listen like football is number one for me it's the most important thing in my life this is what it looks like and i'm not different i'm different than a lot of people so if you can be okay with this we'll work out just fine and I'm th- super thankful because even with all of the things I do, which I, I do a lot more than play professional football and financial wealth, I'm a wealth manager. I'm also a vice president for our CFL Players Association. I also do a ton of things in the community and the charitable work. I'm president of Making Faces. I'm coaching uh, a Recruit Ready here in Winnipeg as a whole other thing. There's so many things I do that aren't, say, the word wife, kids, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. right? So I'm... She's been very understanding and has never given me a problem about what I do because she knows everything I do to the best of my ability and for, for a, a good purpose. Never felt the pressure to, be, to back off from what I'm doing or not doing what I'm doing or, hey, don't go train today so you can come stay with the family. Like, she knows that if I need to go do something, I need to go do something. And it's not – she takes a lot of – I always say she's the MVP mm-hmm. of our family mm-hmm. and of the team because she's very selfless, right? and allows me to more or less be selfish to do the things that I need to do to be able to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. It's clear to me that one of the tips, techniques, strategies we would want to offer some of our athlete listeners is not to be afraid to use your clout and platform because in, in, in a positive way, is yeah, I've, I'm here for a reason. I have a platform now let's utilize that positively, right? We talked about mentors right away in, yes. in this podcast. And, and I told you how important what mentors have been for me. I never had a professional athlete come to my school and talk to me. I told mm-hmm. you that. Like, it was, how cool would that have been as a 10-year-old of getting some perspective? And to this day, I've probably visited over 100 schools and given all sorts of motivational talks to schools and kids across Canada. I've done a ton of corporate speaking and talk to some of the biggest organizations here in Canada around, you know, how to be successful in, in, in your business and how to get what you want out of your employees or your people in your organization. How do you take the next step from going good to great? Like stuff and, and like what I mean, a message you often give somebody in a nutshell, what, what there's a corporate leader tuning in right now and you're like, Oh, what's this big hill guy talking about? What's one little nugget you'd say to somebody to get from good to great. What do they have to do with their team? You have to be a good leader and understand people, right? You have to understand what makes them tick and you have to understand how to get more out of them. Mm-hmm. You just have to be good at connecting with people and you have to be good at learning how to motivate them because you can't do the same motivational thing to every single person because everyone's different. Mm -hmm. You have to realize that Mm -hmm. you can't keep hitting everything with a hammer 
if it's not a nail, right? Like you can't just take a hammer to everything. You have to figure out what tool you need to use and, and use it. Like all my teammates, like I can't talk to all my teammates the same way. Mm-hmm. I can't motivate mm-hmm. them all the mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in the business world. You got to know how to talk to people. And honestly, in the business world, people are a lot more fragile than, yes. than in the yes. uh, athlete world. In the athlete world, we want a solution. We want it now. Yes. And there's this... I, <laughs> Now. Yes, now. And I think, Adam, there's this belief that once you get into the locker room, quote unquote, the locker room, which is what we're trying to create here in the lab, there's these unwritten expectations. We're here to work. And sometimes feelings are going to be hurt because we're all out trying to win a championship. Whether that's to hit the quarter, hit the second quarter. Yep. But in sport, it's to win the championship. Yep. Yeah, and the same thing has to be in the business world. You have to get people on board pulling the rope in the same direction. Life's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. Yes. And honestly, if you're in a leadership position, you have to make sure you take a good hard look at yourself and make sure that you're putting forth all the things you're demanding from everybody else. And you're setting that example because what is anybody going to come to come to work? What are they going to do? They're going to look at who? Mm-hmm. The leader for the example. Mm-hmm. I believe what I'm going to say next is going to be a prediction. So I'm glad that we're recording this, Baffle Nation. So Business Athlete Nation. You are looking at future CFL Hall of Fame coach Adam Big Hill. It would seem inevitable that this man will be a coach in the CFL one day. I don't know how that. Well, I just I, I got to be frank with you in, in front of everybody. I don't know how it's not inevitable. A lot of my teammates are like, "Yeah, you're going to coach. I would be really good at it. I feel I would be able to surround myself with some individuals that are very good. Honestly, like the coaching life is not the life I really want for my uh, family. Okay, you know I've seen. Coaches hired and fired and moving across and the kind of time they spend away from their families. And you know, that's really why I decided what my next career is going to be is with, you know, wealth management and, and, and servicing people in a different way yeah. and, and, and supporting my family in a different way and being there for my family in a different way. I'll coach my kids. I coach my kids right now. I love coaching. <laughs> I love coaching. I can tell. I love it. We can do a whole podcast on coaching. There's something like, really fulfilling about helping somebody, isn't there? Yeah, I'm coaching you know, under 10 flag football right now. And one of the kids on my team has had an amazing transformation from last year to this year. And it's been so rewarding seeing him go from the first practice of maybe never coming back yeah, to now contributing in a positive way in every single game and continually getting better and he's smiling and having a great time before he was crying and never wanting to come back. And to me, that's one of the best feelings ever. And uh, yeah, I, I love that. You're clearly not driven by money, and I mean that as a compliment. I know that you, well, it's public, uh, a number of years back after the pandemic, you took a reduced pay cut to stay here in Winnipeg with the football team. Significant. Significant. <laughs> That's even before, before Canadian taxes. So he essentially played for free. There's no tongue-in-cheek, and that's truth. Why? Which part? Why'd you do it? Take a pay cut? Yeah, the whole thing. Because it's, it's a big decision. Yeah, I could have left and went someplace else and got yeah. paid in a much more. I believe I know pay the scale. answer, but I wanted to ask you. Yeah, like life isn't all about money. I guess is probably what you're looking for, and that's that was probably that that is the answer. Like my comfort level being in this organization, stability for my family being in Winnipeg. That's the word I was like, yeah. stability, right? It's- and you look at the opportunity cost and what is it? You go through all the scenarios, pros and cons. What ifs? Grass is greener. Not sure. Yes. Is it worth it? Overall, it wasn't going to be worth being away from my family and setting a new path. Like it just. Yes. Like the stability aspect, and and then you know what did I do? I took a sixty-five percent pay cut, significant haircut, 
Yes. At a time where my family needed it most post-COVID. Yes. And had one of the best seasons of my career in a shortened season, one defensive player of the year. And went about it without complaining and bitching about it, but just continued my level of work and service for my teammates and my organization and was able to do a lot of great things and obviously win a great cup. What strikes me most about that is that you were able to see past those 12 months or those eight games or 12 games. It was like, okay, stability is more important than the next 12 months because I know that there's going to be 12 months after that and 12 months after that and 12 months after that. And it's okay, this is going to be the little haircut or indifference right now. But in the big picture of it all, this is the right move for my and my family. Yeah, you got to take it all into consideration. Yes. And starting a business here in Winnipeg too, like I, I wanted to be yeah. here to be around continuing to build my brand and my awareness and build my business in, in Winnipeg. And obviously that, was, that, was, that, that factored into it quite a bit. And I, I always feel that as long as you put in the work, good things will always happen. So like I trusted that process of working extremely hard like I always do and believing good things are going to happen and being able to win a great cup and defensive player of the year that year on it from where I came from, potentially deciding to leave. Does it get much more trans, like transparent or like polar opposite of, yeah, this is shitty, but I'm staying here for hoping to get this, and it goes and happens, right? It's, it was pretty awesome, right? Definitely a huge, pivotal, defining moment in my life for sure. Yeah. Adam, before we wrap up and say goodbye, one last closing question before we do episode two and three and four and five with the Keith and Adam show. We got a lot more to talk about, I tell you that. Adam, what scares you? Spiders. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll kill spiders upon yeah. seeing them and get them out of my face. I'm not going to run away. And I don't like snakes either. Yeah. No, like I, I asked you that because you strike me as a remarkably optimistic, you're always going to find a solution. Man, there's nothing you're not going to accomplish. But as a leader, and I know there's a lot of leaders listening to this, and I'm one of them, we have our fears. Sometimes we like to talk about them, sometimes we don't like to talk about them. What scares you? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people I care about the most, my family, like just, just want to just pray for health and safety in my yeah. family and friends. Losing my dad this year and having some individuals in my life who lost their family members this year as well. And then the last couple of years have been tough for a lot, a lot of people. Just scares me is just family, just health yeah. and safety. And like, as you get older, more and more people around you leave this earth and you become more aware how how the time you spend here on earth is how important it is and that people leave. It's, it's a fact. And, yeah. and that is a scary thing that we don't talk about enough mm-hmm. that, and, and how do you handle those kinds of things? And uh, so those are the things that scare me the most now in terms of just when is the last time when we will speak to me? And you obviously don't think about that. Of course. But like, you're like this year is makes you really apparent that we are ever so human and yes. we're not here forever. You have to be thankful and gracious for the time we have. And we have to be able to reciprocate that out in the world and, and obviously letting people know we care about them. Yeah. Yeah. And we care that you came here to join me today. Yeah. Adam Big Hill. Pleasure. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you yeah, joining us. That was good. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with myself and Adam as we're trying to bring guys like Adam here to tell his story about what it's been like transitioning from a pro athlete to a business guy and just the whole journey. And I know I've thoroughly enjoyed the story, thoroughly enjoyed the story, and I, it's clear to me that we've only got a, a snapshot into it. And we're going to walk him out of the lab and we're going to bring him back for number two.